Hey guys, welcome back to Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. I'm Chris Bircher. This is going to be episode 21. We all feel different, but really, we're all the same. And uh, before I get into that, I just want to encourage you again to help me uh, organically build this community. Uh, and if you're listening, you're a part of it, whether you like it or not. Uh, you know, um, tell your friends, uh, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, give a like. These things are really important uh, to, to to me personally, and just sort of to help demonstrate that you can be successful, or uh, you know, spread uh, or build a community without fancy guerrilla marketing tricks uh, or um, following the rules, so to speak. And I think that that's gonna that's gonna have a lot to do with what I want to talk about today. And um, which, which I think will, will hopefully grow organically. The idea here is that through you know ten years of therapy and reading personal growth and just sort of what I call stalking myself and trying to become a better person or seek enlightenment or whatever that means, whatever that pathway is, just being very curious about why I am the way I am and why people are the way they are. One thing that I've learned, and it keeps coming up again and again, and it's not something I made up, and it's not something that I know, and it's not because I'm smart. It's something that I'm told that research shows and the patterns show and happens to be a very common theme among humans is that everybody, or a, well, that's a hyperbole a little bit there, a lot of people, especially the kind of people who are introspective and interested in personal growth and perhaps have problems they want to solve, feel like outcasts. They feel different. They feel other than. They feel like outsiders in their community. And this really, this feeling is at the root of a lot of their problems like anxiety or depression and things like that because they feel like nobody understands. And what I'm told is that a lot of people feel that way. And so what's really ironic about that is if we all feel different, Aren't we all kind of the same in that respect? And shouldn't we be able to bond over that? And so the question is, why isn't this being talked about? Why isn't this the, a thing? Why isn't this a headline? Why doesn't this show up on your Instagram feed? Why, why isn't this YouTube worthy? Why is this not a subject that we are discussing uh, rapidly to try to solve? Uh, it seems like, and part of what I'm trying to do here, building a community for people that feel this way will help us not feel this way. You know, on the one hand, it's sort of like, are we, is this a self-fulfilling prophecy? Are we trying to intentionally separate ourselves from other people? You know, okay, that's that's probably a bit of it. You know, I think as adolescents, when we're trying to figure out who we are and develop our own personal identities and our personality, I think we begin that process by saying, I'm not that, I'm not that. And so that narrows down the field of things that we are. And so one of the things, um, you know, I think as a result of that, you feel like, you know that that's a process of creating that other uh, or not that or um, outsider sort of perspective. But hopefully that process leads to a group <laughs> that you do belong to. And, you know, I think um, anthropological research and sort of just general sociology also supports the idea that people need a tribe. And not having a tribe is, um, again, creates problems of loneliness and anxiety and depression. Um, and other research has also shown that loneliness is, a, is, a, is an increasing problem, which is so, again, ironic. In an era of absolute connectedness via the Internet, 
you literally can be connected to people all over the world, uh, at least electronically. Uh, and, and sort of, you know, the Zoom and things like that have become more and more normal in the era of COVID. Uh, so if we are more connected, why do we feel more disconnected? You know, I, I was listening to um, a podcast talking about college students and that college students are lonelier and feel more isolated than they ever have before. Not, not looking at this year, COVID, but the last couple of years, uh, pre-COVID, this is a theme, uh, and the same, the same body of research suggests that um, males over 60 or, or, or older males um, who don't have a single friend to confide in or be friends with, um, that is as unhealthy as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Uh, and it's, you know, I don't want to get into how they do that research, but, you know, that is, that is a valid conclusion that I believe that loneliness causes health problems. Being disconnected is an issue. It is more common than we think. It's something we're not talking about. And in an era, again, where information is seemingly limitless, it's a it's a crazy sort of disconnect in the world right now that that I'd really like to be part of a movement or part of a, a world that says let's deal with this right now and try to reduce the severity of that problem. You know, from 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 sort of a selfish parenting perspective, you know, I don't want my kids to feel lonely in college. When I was in college in the '90s, that's where I sort of found that community. I had spent my high school year saying, I'm not that, I'm not that. Went to college where there was a more, more diverse, broader group of people my age that I could, you know, had more, more people to choose from and I could sort of figure out um, who the other people were that I was more like. And, you know, part of my friends talked about stuff like this, not nearly to the degree that I am right now, but I, I, I was looking for people who, who were interested in sort of speaking the truth so to, so to speak. Um, and, and, and that's a good transition into to, to sort of the next issue. It's like, why is that? Why, if we have this thing in common, many of us, maybe even most of us worldwide, regardless of race, country of origin, you know, all of these other things, why do we all feel so isolated when the person right next to us who we feel isolated from may actually share nearly identical feelings. Isn't that a point at which you could bond and perhaps reduce that feeling in both of you and move forward with your lives in a more positive way? Why, why is that not happening? It's easy you know, I see this all the time. I certainly don't do it to sit down next to somebody you've never met and start talking about the football game that was on TV last night. Why is that so much easier? What are we afraid of? Why is there a stigma on talking about feelings? There's so many things that aggravate me about this from a, a, a post I replied to on Twitter um, that was talking about what real men were. And if you go back to, I think, episode seven, where I talk about maleness, it, it's it irritates me to no end this idea of what the ideal male is because it's not this. You know, we have these societal formulas for what is correct. And more important than that, 
deviation from these formulas is 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 um, her- heretic or, uh, or just you know absolutely unaccepted. And I think there, somewhere in there, is the problem with why we don't talk about real things. And you know, my mom always used to tell me I'm deep, and this that's sort of, it's so embarrassing. In in as sort of being the opposite of shallow, that it was always irritating to me that people to, seemed so, and I'll, for lack of a better word, shallow. Like I just didn't understand why people were always living at this level of reality that just seemed so unimportant. And yet, then that's fine. But what I didn't understand is people were assigning emotions, values, quality metrics to this, to this, to this level of sort of superficiality as if it were life and death. And there's the, there's the dilemma to me. There's the, there's the disjunct, um, is that, if you want, if 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 something is superficial, then it necessarily should should stay at that level and not induce such emotional strife. You know, if um, if somebody doesn't like a picture that you post on Instagram, um, that's silly and flippant. Uh, you know, it's just a picture of you doing something dumb or or whatever. That the, the stuff that people post, uh, then you shouldn't feel hurt. If people treat it like it, it's superficial, um, and so the disjunct between the emotional world that, or the emotional values and, and and that we apply and the way that we feel about things and how we let things affect our psyche and, and our our lives, um, th- th- that those are valid things. If you're talking about important things like your relationships with your family or um, um, the health of your finances or your, 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 your physical health or things like that. I mean, those are important things, but, um, you know, whether or not you have enough followers on social media, probably really ideally shouldn't bother you that much. So, um, why the disjunct between what we're really feeling and this sort of superficial world? Why, what's the difference in this depth and this shallowness and why is depth, sort of stigmatized by society and shallowness favored. Okay, now now we're getting a little bit closer to my my disgust with this sort of issue. Um I don't know. I I've I've never I've never been well, I have so certainly been influenced by this societal phenomena. Um these societal phenomena, this societal phenomenon that People seem to want to live in a world where feelings and emotions and things that I would argue are important that everybody deals with on a daily basis. That stuff really just isn't popular um, to discuss or mention or even, you know, acknowledge that it exists. And instead of that, we favor talking about things like sports or what we had for dinner uh, or what kind of clothes we like. Um, and And that may be a little bit kind of in the middle, but the superficial world of things that do not induce kind of, I don't know. I don't know. It's like, uh, why can't we talk about the things that matter? And we know, we know what we're doing. I can't put this into words, but we know, like, for example, you you see somebody in the street, Hey, what's up? How you doing? I'm fine. Great. What's up? I'm fantastic. I mean, that's all just bullshit. 
right? I mean, who wants to walk up to somebody and say, "Hey, how you doing?" It's like, "Oh, you know, my mom just passed, and I'm, I'm struggling." Nobody wants to deal with that, <laughs> uh, you know. But I'm, I'm totally open with that. And in fact, I invite this stuff. I, I love sort of screwing with the people who live in that superficial world by trying to induce some sort of discomfort. And maybe that's it. You know, I, I have described to my students before that that growth occurs at the edge of your comfort zone. We all live in, in this in this bubble of our comfort zone where we feel safe and secure. And whenever we push up against the edge of that comfort zone, we feel an emotional stress uh, because we're, we, we're afraid of passing that comfort zone. And I think a lot of this fear has to do with exactly what I'm talking about. If we push through that and try to deal with some of those emotions, A, it's going to be uncomfortable for us, and B, it's going to be embarrassing because everybody else doesn't support that. When really... You know, I think part of the, the the responsibility for being human is sort of pushing up against that so that you understand where you are and, and where you make it, may be able to grow and to try new things and to, you know, have a, have a better experience on this planet as a person. And without suffering or pain, you know, there is no joy. And so the idea that staying isolated inside your tiny little comfort bubble and the smaller that is, the better that your life is going to be. I think that's just erroneous. Um, and I understand why we believe that because, you know, we don't like to feel uncomfortable. But why does talking about the way we feel feel uncomfortable? Are we we're embarrassed? Well, you know, I, I, I think I have some partial explanations to this. And I'll just share a couple of my observations with uh, the way I see the world working. I think we're encouraged to keep all that stuff inside. We're, we're encouraged not to talk about that stuff. And certainly one of my favorite um, stereotypes that I like to, you know, there, there's a lot of truth to this stereotype, is the 50s dad. 50s dads were the epitome of masculinity in the 50s. They didn't show any emotion. Uh, if anything, it was anger because when, you know, that's how they distributed their power or, you know, illustrated their power or, you know, maintained, maintained a status quo where nobody else had emotions because they didn't want to deal with it. Um, and that was sort of viewed as an effective um, way to live and way to be and to idealize. And um, if anybody deviated from that, they were struck down. And so that became popularized throughout our culture in movies and TV and books and all these other things that the the stoic, the stoicism was really the favored condition. And that, you know, epitomizes not dealing with any of this emotions and and sort of, and, and those guys, interestingly enough, were all pretty sterile and vanilla and carbon copies of themselves. They all wore the blue suits and, you know, or whatever uniforms and they had the same freaking haircut and they had the same glasses and the same hats, you know, it was very much this, 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 this carbon copy, you know, uh, Pink Floyd, the wall, 1984 picture of the world. And it was favored, encouraged and supported. And anything that deviated from that wasn't, it's as if there, it's as if there was a life formula that if you didn't follow, you were omitted from society. And guess what? Now all of us feel like we're isolated and omitted, omitted from society. And I wonder if it's not because we don't want to follow that. We don't want to play that game. We don't want to subscribe to the rules. Um, and so some of my experiences, you know, it first started when I tried to get a book published. And, um, you know, I was um, 
not not bragging, just by all the measurable metrics, I was a good. I became a good scientific writer. I was a bad. I was a terrible writer because I never paid attention in English. I didn't understand the basic rules of, you know. I remember the first paper that I submitted to a co-author for him to review my draft. His first comment, and it was a complete paper with all the data analysis and figures and tables and uh, work cited. And it was a complete first draft. I put a lot of work into, and his basically his single comment back to me after reading it was every paragraph should have a topic sentence man how basic is that uh and so some rules are important <laughs> you know if you want people to understand what you're saying you have to speak to them in a language that they understand and and you know some formulas make sense but when i first tried to get my beer book published it was m- murdered you know when you know of course it didn't get any response from most of the agents that i i, I tried to share it with nobody cared uh, but the ones who did give me the time of day basically said, yeah, you are a horrible writer. Uh, this, there might be a story in here, but you're going to have to pay somebody else to write it because you suck. Um, now, maybe that's true. But my belief is that the problem in that relationship between my writing and the agent or book publisher was that they have a formula. They're looking for a specific rock and until you bring them that type of rock, they're not going to have anything to do with you because they're interested in selling the books and they know what has sold before. And so in order to maximize, minimize their risk and maximize their potential for profits, they want your book to look just like all the other ones that sold a whole lot of copies. Now, what's, what's, what, what, what results from that sort of mindset? All the books look the same. We're, you know, we were trained. That's the same formula. You know, da, 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 introduce your characters, introduce some tragedy, solve the problem, and everybody's happy. You know that, and and have it be written where paragraphs are all 175 words long, and I have a topic sentence, and da, da da da. It needs to look just like that, or it's not going to sell. I'm not taking the risk. Interestingly enough, in the age of self-published like eBooks, you see a lot of writing that doesn't follow that formula. And you know what? I like it. I like a lot of these sort of loosey-goosey, um, dialogue sort of stream-of-consciousness books that people have read, where now I understand, I look at them and I go, wow, this would never have got published, <laughs> you know, but it's, I like it. It's well-written. I like it. It's a new thing. It's different. Um, maybe it's not going to be the world's greatest bestseller and be Moby Dick, but, but uh, I, I appreciate the fact that there's some variety there. You know, this this push toward the most vanilla, bland, uh, carbon copy, everything is sucks. And it's, you know, it's, it, it's minimizing our diversity. Like I talked about, um, a couple of podcasts ago, you know, the reason we need variety in the world, uh, it's, um, it's stifling our creativity and it's encouraging everybody to be the same. And again, so, uh, you know, so another example that really kills me is my work trying to do this podcast. So the first thing I do is like, well, how do you how do you advertise or share your podcast with the world? The first hundred hits you get on a Google search for "Help me with my podcast" is all a very formulaic way of building your listeners. You have to get them to do an email. You have to give them a treat. You have to do some sort of contest. You have to give away prizes. You, all these things that to me sound like tricking people. I don't want to attract somebody to this my community that has no interest in the product. 
that that only is going to participate because I'm going to give them a $25 gift card to Amazon away. I don't want that. I want to believe that there are people out there looking for stuff like this and they're going to find it just like me. If I, you know, it's amazing the things that I have found because I follow my curiosity. Um, so, so many things in my life that I'm surrounded by that have been ma- massive, influential um, books or podcasts or information sources that I found has been completely organic. I just say, I'm, I'm interested in this. I'm going to go find stuff. And I got to filter through all the formulaic crap to get to them. Um, but, you know, in, a, in the world before the Internet, it, this, this, somehow this worked. You know, the idea that comes into my mind now are the the Carlos Castaneda books about Don Juan, the teachings of Don Juan, the Yaki Way of Knowledge, and all the other books that came after that. I found that somehow. I would not say that, you know, actually those books have sold a lot, so there is some sort of big following behind it, but it's certainly not something people talk about while they're at a Major League Baseball game. I mean, it's not, you know, it doesn't operate on that superficial scale of popularity and accepted... Uh, um, activities and subjects that people discuss, um, whether on the subway. Um, it, but yet, even pre-internet, I found that somehow because you know one copy existed in some hundred-mile radius of me that I was able to track down. Uh, so it, you know, it's like from my podcast example, it has to be big enough. It has to be spread enough so that people who are looking for it have a chance of finding it. It's not a needle in a haystack. Uh, but I don't think I have to drive it down everybody's throat and go through 10,000 people to find the one. I, don't, I just don't believe in that. And again, because it's a formula. And the flip side of all this is my objection to following the formulaic way is going to mean I will experience less success ultimately. Because, you know, as my dad would say, you know, if, if you can be really good at the things you like, then why can't you be really good at studying and making A's? There's some, there's some logic there. If I, if, you know, I could follow the formulaic prescriptions to get a book published or to get a podcast popular or to repair a lawnmower. Um, but I'm just not going to do it cause I'm too damn obstinate. And I just feel like I'm selling out. I'm, I'm, well, I feel like I'm going against my value system. And my value system says alternative paths are good. Just because the world discourages it and just because the world encourages you to all take the same path, whatever it is, I don't, I don't have to play that game. And yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose out sometimes for doing that. But A, I won't feel bad. And B, there's a chance for me to illustrate that the alternative pathway to success works. And one of the, I've done this before, like with college students who all think life is linear. They think you get to high school, you do, you behave a certain way, you get a certain grade. You get a certain grade, you get into a certain college. You get into a certain college, you get a certain job. You get a certain job, you get a certain house. You get a certain house, you get a certain salary, you get a certain. They think that life is linear. And I would come into these freshman classes to show them that life isn't linear. That hey, look, I found success. You know, PhD and academia and all that stuff. I found top five percent of my cohort success doing it my way. I did not subscribe to the formulaic path. And, you know, I, I watched all of my, my brothers and sisters in my cohort do it that way. And they looked miserable. 
I, you know, my, the best job I ever had was being a graduate student. I made $18,000 a year, but I was allowed to make my own hours and do whatever I wanted. All I had to do was show a couple of products, you know, at six months to one year intervals. And if I was doing that, no, everybody left me alone. It's the best job I ever had. It didn't pay very well and it wasn't sustainable. But I would go into the office 10, 15 hours a week, spend a whole lot of time with my kids who were babies at the time. I wasn't stressed. You know, I made the most of my time. I learned a lot of valuable skills about how to do less with more. And you know what? I performed at a very high level. And so I have illustrated um, that you can do these certain things. Now, were there certain tools I borrowed from formulas? Sure. How to get published? You, you got to do certain things to get a paper published in an academic journal. It's not like I just wrote it on a napkin and, you know, mailed it to somebody. I had to follow some rules, but I didn't have to follow the formula of spending 60 to 80 hours a week in the lab, beating my head against the wall, um, doing all these things. I, I just made decisions that made sense to me. And I followed that path. I followed my own path. It's like the Paul Anka. I did it my way. I mean, that is like the, the mantra of my life. We all should do it our way. So th- that seems like a rant or sort of tangenty, but the problem is we are dissatisfied and even unhappy with with the way things um, are going in many in our lives, and that's illustrated by the, the 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 number of people who are expressing anxiety, depression, stress, and all these other things. This idea that many people are going into the self help community feeling like they are outcasts or they are different and they're not like anybody else, and that's that's adding to this sort of problem. So that problem exists in the world. What I am saying is part of that problem is because media, society, culture encourages us to be one way. We feel like we're not that way, arguably. Of course not, because we're all people and we're all different. And that's creating stress. And so how do we set the world up for people to say that, A, it's okay to follow your own path. Um, Understand that there are some societal rules like driving on the right side of the road that you're going to have to follow. Um, but outside outside those sort of simple rules, you should be encouraged to develop your own path, be creative, come up with something new, potentially allow yourself to fail because that's how you're going to learn. Push yourself up the edge of your comfort zone. Talk about your feelings. Talk about your emotions. Share these things with people and develop a, um, a community where that becomes the status quo rather than trying to subscribe to some societal norms that are antiquated, don't make any sense, and are creating problems. Uh, Another example of where I see this, and and again, related to the podcast and and this video uh, series, is the idea that in order to be uh, successful on the internet, you have to have 5 million followers and be a social media influencer. What I've noticed... Uh, as another set of evidence against this line of vanilla formulaic thinking is the internet has a lot of stuff on it. And and one example is uh, YouTube videos and blogs and and all these podcasts and all those other things. There's too many of them probably. Uh, But what I notice a severe lack of in the, in the mix of that seemingly infinite um, number of shows is content. I see a lot of repetition um, what we would call in the academic world is plagiarism. You know, I don't even know where these ideas came from, but you see them spouted repeatedly on all these different things. Well, you don't see a lot of originality. And of course you don't see originality because everyone's following a formula. There's a, 
Look on Twitter, Instagram, um, Facebook, YouTube. There's a ton of uh, up-and-coming um, blogs and things like this that you can just tell they're following the formula. They're doing the certain thing. They're automating their tweets to go out every hour so that they're just spreading themselves thin. They're, they're doing the right things, and they're building up massive followers, 1,000, 5,000, 10,000, 100,000 followers. And I just don't understand it because what I see as far as their content is just nothing. It's just the same old stuff. It's it's almost like you're shaming people into following you or tricking people into into liking something. And I swear there's even some where I, I swear there's one person that's got like eight different accounts that's all just, you know, doing this thing where they keep retweeting each other and to grow this massive thing. But for what? Um, and I get it. You can monetize this stuff. But, you know, being motivated by money automa- automatically, if you don't have the content behind it, I don't, just don't see how that is possibly successful. However, it is, <laughs> which is frustrating. So uh, in a way, they're right. You know, you can create um, hacks at this superficiality level that that can actually put money in your pocket, and 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 that just really bothers me because it's almost like you're encouraging people to. Well, the two things are going on there. I think one, you're 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 dealing with the fact that people want to look normal, but you're also um, addressing elements of their lifestyle where you know that they don't necessarily feel normal. So it's like, if you can balance these two things, what I'm trying to do is just be completely authentic and, and, and honest and just say, look, I know we have these things and that we need to talk about these things and and that, and that, and that you're like me, um, in these ways. And so how can we bond over that? And let's just cut through the bullshit, um, and, and live in a world that, that is more honest. Uh, but you know that's just not that's not encouraged. Not the way the system is set up. It's like trying to buy uh, something at the drive-through at Taco Bell with um, you know with um, with uh, a different currency. It's just not going to happen. You know, if you want to participate in this world, you got to do it things the right way. And so the the, the formulaic thing it just um, it gets under my skin because I don't understand why more people aren't haven't haven't come to the conclusion that it doesn't work for them and there's the possibility for another way. And so that, and 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 part of that is just because the societal pressures are so strong uh, and the alternatives are so strongly minimized or um, selected against and discouraged that that makes it difficult. You know, it's, it's like, it's like, um, you know, any deviation from the norm, norms are important, right? Because that's why we wear clothes in public and um, laws and, and safety and things like that. Norms are important and they should be encouraged. But I don't think, you know, personality norms and dream norms like the dreams episode, we should be allowed to dream on our own terms. Um, there's, there's, there's too much normalcy. There's too much encouragement for the vanilla world. There's too many formulas for too many different um, elements of human existence, there needs to be some freedom. You know, all, that's why we still have music and art and school, right? I mean, there, there needs to be room for people to develop new strategies because that's how we change. Uh, we need to encourage, support the creativity of people uh, as a, just a general rule. And I think it, it, it directly applies to whether, you know, the, the stresses from people not feeling like they're part of the community, that needs to be addressed. 
Um, we need to, you know, it, 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 to go into like the current political climate, this us versus them thing. You know, <laughs> again, I've referred to this before, this idea of the narcissism of small differences. It's like the Hatfields and McCoys in West Virginia. These two clans were so similar, they're freaking related genetically. But because of some stupid little marginal difference between the two, they decided to fight and kill each other all the time. And that became their their driving force. You know, the Democrats and the Republicans, whatever you want to call these positions, have so many more similarities than they do differences, yet they focus on these differences and it becomes a super divisive um, rubric in our daily lives. You know, and I get that, you know, the, the, the psychologists and the evolutionary um, neuroscientists tell us that our brains are simply wired more to look for threats than they are to recognize uh, positives. Uh, so we spend much more time being afraid of being unsafe uh, than we do focusing on the good feelings associated when we do feel safe. And so we do focus on negatives. We're going to focus on differences um, just more naturally than we focus on the similarities. And, 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 and that's just the way it is. But it doesn't mean we can't do it. <clears throat> and why don't we have inherent governmental societal mechanisms to weed through the stupid um, narcissisms of small differences to get together to be able to actually make progress. Why, why does it work like that? Well, I would argue that the systems, like the publishing system, books, um, that they're, they're, are, are working against that. We just don't deal with diversity and um, openness and emotional um, health in our daily lives. We just don't do it. It's, it's discouraged. Um, then secondarily, us, so that's that's the sort of the machine working down, top-down management. That's fine. Uh, we can change those things, but we can't change those things until we change ourselves. So I, that's part of the reason I refuse, and, and maybe I'll eat my words and one day I'll do this, but I refuse to subscribe to a formulaic, formulaic podcast monetization scheme. Um, although I, it sucks because I would like to get this in front of people who may want it. Um, that's a dilemma I'm just going to either have to solve myself <clears throat> or give up or ultimately cave and, and try that. Uh, hopefully I won't ever do that. So uh, as individuals, we have to believe in ourselves and our value systems as being important and that it needs to coexist with the formulaic systems in the world today. And so we have to make choices on a item by item basis about what we support and whether or not we, um, a manifest to this formulaic approach to life in the system by subscribing to it wholeheartedly and maybe not speaking up when we should, or, you know, buying something from this company when we know there's a, a better option, um, or whatever we have to, as individuals make those choices. And the secondarily, we have to talk about it. <clears throat> there was another study that I heard about on a podcast that had different, that's, um, said that, you know, people, talk less to each other. And this is all related to the internet. And I'm not blaming the internet or smartphones. Those things exist. I'm not saying the solution to these problems is to do away with those. It's to deal with them. But they said that today people are becoming so much more into their devices and living not in direct contact with people, 
but in contact with people virtually that in public situations, we don't want to talk to other people that we're getting more and more to the point of where we actually will say, I don't want to, when I get on the subway, I want to shut down. I don't want to make eye contact with people. I don't want to talk to people when I'm in the, on an airplane ride. I am not going to talk to somebody because I will be happier. I am happier when I don't do that. Well, the experiment, the experimental results suggest that that's actually not true, that people are actually happier when they share with people and have conversations with people. And maybe these, you know, the place to start is superficiality. And I am so guilty of this myself. There are so many people in my community that I have um, pushed out of my life because I don't think they'll understand me that I later find out actually I can go pretty deep with and we can develop a relationship It finds out they're more like me than I thought. I thought they were living on the superficial world because that's the persona you put out to the world because that's safe. You don't want to go out and say like, I am so sad today. And everybody's going to think you're a freak and run away. You sort of have to, put on this front when you're out in the world. Um, but then when you develop a relationship with somebody and you both sort of let your guards down, you, ex- you can do an experiment and sort of say, can I, is this person potentially maybe more like me than I realize? And I am so guilty of poten- losing relationships. I err on the side of not taking that risk. And I'm so bad about that. And one of the things that i I hope that I can learn to do better, especially as COVID becomes less of a problem, is to give people a chance. And don't trust my gut instinct that everybody is a superficial, um, you know, formula follower or whatever, and that uh, there is some potential to get a little bit deeper into a relationship that I want to have. Um, and not everybody's going to be there and there's going to be all kinds of trade-offs. And, you know, some of my best friends, we rarely go sort of below that superficial level. And our friendships are more about nostalgia and time spent together than anything. But my point is that we have to be more open. We have to take more risks. We have to push the level of our comfort zone a little bit as individuals to create, change what is normal, right? And I think, you know, I look at people who have to do this on a daily basis that, you know, maybe you are paraplegic or you're disfigured or you are obvious, you have some sort of advertisement to the world that says you are different. Heck, just not being white. Um, you know, I, I have a deep love and respect for those people because they don't have the opportunity to stay at this superficial vanilla level because they're automatically pushed out of it just because of how they appear to the world. And so those people, have to have probably developed, you know, some strategies. One, either, you know, I hear this all the time, like Monica Padman, who's on Dax Shepard podcast, Armchair Expert. She talks about always wanting to be white. And so she, because she's Indian, Indian American, um, like from the country, India, she hated that and wanted to be more. And so her whole persona and behavior changed to be more white. For Christ's sake, she was a cheerleader. Um, so that's one strategy of how people that automatically look different uh, in the world cope with it, and, and others, um, you know, more embrace it, uh, and and by 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 creating a self love and and sort of accepting who they are and things like that. And I think that's what we need to do as individuals is say, and that's all I'm trying to do with this entire episode is say, a lot of people feel different. They're not talking about it except to their therapists. You should not only feel okay about that, but by, by knowing that there's lots of other people out there that feel that way too, but 
realize that that those unique properties are being lost or they're being selected against by societal pressures that don't make any sense and we need that you know those are those are those are that creativity that difference is what you know could potentially lead to the next big change um, but right now what we have to do is is group together and help other people understand that it's okay and that the world wants that and you have just as much value if not more uh, than anybody else in the world, and that if we don't embrace each other over these similar differences, <laughs> this is a funny way, that I don't know what's going to happen. I don't think the world's going to get any better. If we continue along a more formulaic path where basically when you're born, you do follow a linear, and if you um, are outside the margins of error, I don't know, you're killed. You know, what happens eventually if you're so different that the world just doesn't want to deal with you. That's not the path that we want to be on. We want to be on a path that gives the world the most bounty. You know, it's sort of like, uh, it's almost in a way like the tragedy of the commons by Garrett Hardin, who's, who, um, documented the, the, um, the idea that humans could actually deplete the resources on the planet. You know, the first, the Native Americans certainly just because of their population levels, but when the white people first came to the Chesapeake Bay, Jamestown and all that stuff, uh, they looked at the Chesapeake Bay and said, there are so many fish and oysters and shellfish and resources in the Chesapeake Bay that it's inexhaustible. We can't, we don't have the power to use it all up. So basically we're set for life for generations and it didn't take very long to realize that, in fact, that wasn't true. So it's the, there's a common resource, and the tragedy is that you think you take that common resource for granted, and then you don't know how to deal with it when it's gone. And so the common resource that I think we have right now is diversity. And we, we instead of taking advantage of that resource, we're suppressing it. And I don't understand why, uh, because we, we really look at the common resource as being everybody's the same. You know, and that's sort of, again, that Pink Floyd, um, the wall, uh, whatever that, 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 that mentality that if everybody's the same, they're easier to manage. And I know that sounds like a conspiracy theory, but I think, right. A lot of governments depend on the predictability of its citizens and, you know, on a whole nother podcast, there's, there's a conspiracy theory in there that says, you know, the formulas were created, uh, to keep us in line, uh, and I don't think that that works. I mean, it works if you want to make the 1% richer and uh, make politicians more powerful. Uh, but what we need to do is the opposite of that, is sort of embrace the diversity of individuals and and celebrate that uh, in such a way that we encourage people to be the who they are. Uh, and, 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 and that's going to be the world. That's the path we want to be on. That path leads to enlightenment. Uh, the current path that we're on by by stifling creativity and diversity and making people all the same. That's more like, it's kind of like the sexual reproduction versus, um, mitosis idea. You're create a society of clones. Those clones are going to end up killing each other out of competition because clones all need exactly the same resources and those resources cannot be infinite. And so the pathway towards, um, sameness is inherently flawed and it will, it will eat itself. Now, the pathway toward diversity has built in backup systems for change. People need different things. People feed off each other. They give each other things that's more connected. 
I don't understand how anyone could disagree with that. Now I'm sure I'm sure you do, and if you do, please please let me know, uh, and you know maybe expose your friends who disagree to this and sort of let them um, give me a beating or whatever. Um, but I do I, I, somehow as individuals who feel different. We have to get into that space where we understand the real value of that and shift our mindset from trying to hide from the world um, to seeing our responsibility uh, for sharing ourselves with the world. So I highly encourage you to do that, and um, I hope you can. And there's plenty of people out there to help you. And if you haven't participated in therapy or counseling, I highly recommend it because this is exactly the kind of thing you're going to hear. Um, and if you feel connected in some way to that sort of mantra, share with me and I can share it with everybody else anonymously. Um, help me build this community. And, uh, it's really amazing to think about where it might go. So that's been, uh, you know, we all feel different, but we're all the same episode 21. I appreciate your time. This is Chris Bircher. Knowledge plus experience equals wisdom.